Hello and welcome to Front and Center, a show dedicated to insights and perspectives on commercial real estate investment across the public and private markets. For more information, please visit centersquare.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Front and Center. I'm Scott Crow, President and Chief Investment Strategist, and I'm joined as usual by my colleague Umarati, Senior Investment Strategist and Global ESG Lead here at Center Square. And today we're going to focus on debt markets. So we've got one of our experts at the firm, Richard Gorski, who's the Managing Director and co-heads our real estate debt business, uh, to come on this episode and talk to us about one of the big things that's really uh, changing in the marketplace, and that's the cost and availability of finance. So, hey, hey, Rich, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. So your colleague, Michael Boxer, joined us at the end of June to discuss some of the real estate debt opportunities that we've been seeing. But since then, a lot has changed, right? I mean, you've got a lot going on in the financing markets, which I, I think is driving a lot of what's happening in terms of the repricing of assets. Uh, and since over the last couple of months, you've had a few things happen. You've got higher for longer and spreads and other things start to move out. So I guess, what does that mean? What's happened over the last couple of months in terms of the availability and price of real estate debt? Yeah, so you're, you're absolutely right, Scott. It's been a pretty dramatic and, and some might term it as sort of vicious change in the markets, at least as it relates to interest rates. and notwithstanding the fact that cap rates, as you know, are a measure of unlevered returns. At the end of the day, everyone really looks at real estate as a levered asset class. And so what we have seen as the 10 years moved out, probably about 100 basis points relative to when you spoke with Michael, is uh, a lot of the lending community has really tightened up and the access to capital has become much more difficult. Spreads have also blown out as volatility has increased. And we really haven't seen yet what we typically see, or at least I have typically seen in my 20 plus years doing this, which is that rates, when benchmark rates go up, typically spreads blow out and then typically spreads will contract. And so the overall cost of borrowing might go up, but it won't go up so sort of violently. And what we have now is uh, the benchmark, the 10 years out 100 base points and spreads are also out. And because of the volatility, we haven't seen the spreads uh, relax. So at this point, I think that will happen, but I think it's going to take some time. I think the volatility has to settle down. But even when that happens, we're still going to wind up with much higher rates than we previously had. And so that's going to lead to ultimately, I think, a repricing, which is starting to take effect, but hasn't really gone through the system yet. And, And maybe, Rich, just to kind of quantify a little bit of what you're talking about, when you say that base rates have gone up, you know, call it 100 basis points or so, and you've also seen spreads increase. I mean, if you're looking at borrowing money against a real estate asset today, what does that pricing actually look like today? And how is that different than even just earlier this summer? Sure. So let's take the easiest one, uh, which is multifamily, which really has kind of a floor set in, uh, given the involvement of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, they provide meaningful liquidity to the space. And so prior to rates going up, um, spreads for multifamily assets were in, I'd say, the broadly speaking, the 130 to 175 over range. And that was when you had the 10-year 2%. You've now got the 10 years. We sit here today, it's bordering on 5%. And spreads are bordering on like 175 to 225 over. And so again, you've got this meaningful increase in the base rate 
and then you've got an increase in the spreads. And so on a 10-year uh, fixed rate financing for multifamily today, the all-in borrowing costs are probably somewhere in the 65 to almost 7% range, depending upon the leverage level. Wow. So what's that mean, I guess, is you have all these maturities hitting in 2024. What's that mean for those refinancings, proceeds, you know, and the flow and effect you think that's going to have in the asset markets? So, yeah, there, there is a ton of maturities coming. In the multifamily space, I think it's going to be a little bit of a tale of two cities in that there are going to be certain borrowers who are very modestly levered and who have hopefully executed upon their business plans, which may have been increasing rents through renovations. They may have been the beneficiary, as many of us have seen over the last few years of rent growth, which is starting to also moderate. But all those things increased NOI. And so even though you have a higher interest rate environment and they're typically the loans are typically being sized on a 125 times debt service coverage ratio. If you were like 50% levered, you still might be okay if you've had that increase in NOI, because that'll help offset the increase in the rate. If you were like 75 or maybe even in certain instances, 80% levered and you're not well capitalized. Um, and if you didn't execute on your business plan and you haven't seen NOI grow, you're really going to be faced with one of two options. Option A is going to be to sell into a market like today, which really the only people for the most part that we're seeing who are looking to sell are essentially in some form of distress. Um, and it may not be a terrible distress. It may just be a function of a refinancing option would require too much capital and they're unwilling or unable to come up with that amount of capital. But that's actually provided a pretty good opportunity for us. We've been doing subordinate lending and debt-like preferred equity for over 20 years. And most of what we had done in the past had been financing sponsors who had some type of a value-add business plan where they were acquiring an apartment building, they were going to renovate kitchens and bathrooms, put down hardwood flooring, they were going to increase rents, increase NOI, and increase value. Uh, and so there was business plan execution risk. What we're starting to see more often now is really what we call gap financing opportunities, which is a situation where if someone acquired an asset for $100 million and they had a $75 million mortgage loan, uh, today they may only be able to qualify for a $60 million mortgage loan. And so there's a $15 million gap in the capital stack if they want to do transact on a cash neutral basis, meaning that they don't have to come out of pocket for a refinance. So to get that $75 million mortgage loan refinanced, you could accomplish it either with a $60 million mortgage and $15 million of cash equity, or alternatively, you may come to a group like ours who, depending upon the credit, we may be willing to provide that $15 million of, again, what I call gap capital, which would allow the sponsor to refinance on a cash neutral basis. And so it's really starting to provide a pretty compelling opportunity for us to make what are really like mid-teens type returns, lending into situations where the assets are relatively stabilized, valuations have reset, because when we're doing our underwritings, we don't necessarily believe four and a quarter cap rates are our market cap rates. That's certainly not what we're underwriting. Um, and so we have the opportunities to lend into these situations where the assets are relatively stabilized. The in-place debt yields through our last dollar of exposure 
are somewhere, generally speaking, in the 7 to 7.5% range. There's good coverage through the senior mortgage. And essentially, the sponsor is basically taking the perspective that they don't want to sell the asset into this environment, that they believe that over time, rates will come down, which I agree over time, they probably will, although I don't think they're going to go down to zero again, nor should they, in my opinion. And if they do, we have a serious problem somewhere in the, in the system. And then their thought process is that as rates come down over time, and that may be two to three to four years out, they can then go ahead and either refinance at lower interest rates, or ultimately they can sell into what they perceive as being a lower cap rate environment. And I guess the impact there, Rich, in terms of where we think that you know interest rate environment really settles out, what that means from a cap rate perspective, I mean, you touched on it, right? A lot of these private funds are still appraising assets and call it the four and a quarter percent range. Whereas if we think this new normal from an interest rate environment, right, you mentioned that we think that 10 years probably closer to that 4% range and for the foreseeable future than the 0% range that we have been operating in for a long, long time. So as we think about that, are you seeing an acceptance across the marketplace from the perspective of debt providers that cap rates are changing because the debt environment has really functionally shifted? Yeah, Uma, I think the I think there's certainly acceptance on the lender side. I think the the resistance to sort of accept higher cap rates as a new reality and one that's probably unfortunately not a fleeting reality, the resistance is really coming from the sponsor side. You have people who acquired properties at three caps, four caps, and if the 10-year settles out around four, which it would still need to come in about 100 basis points from where we're sitting here today, but assuming that it settles in around 4%, which historically is certainly not very high, then if borrowing costs of spreads come in, as I alluded to earlier, once the volatility subsides and you wind up being able to borrow it, call it 150 over, your all-in borrowing cost is going to be 5.5%, which in my opinion Unless you're acquiring a property that has meaningful upside, I don't know why people would be acquiring properties well inside of that borrowing cost, because I don't know why anyone would want to, or be willing to, I should say, accept negative leverage for any prolonged period of time. With again, the only exception being if there's some type of a value add or upside story with respect to the NOI, where you could essentially grow your way out of that negative leverage. And so my view is that ultimately cap rates, I think for transactions that are happening, which are few and far between, but for transactions that are happening, even for class A apartments that are well-located in, in primary markets, you're starting to see prints that are in the five to five and a quarter to sort of five and a half range uh, in terms of cap rates. And that's still negative leverage today because, again, the treasury is closer to the 10 year at least, is closer to 5%. So the borrowing cost is closer to six and a half plus. And so I think that you're going to see borrowers are faced with debt maturities. Um, I think they're going to be faced, unfortunately, with hard decisions where they're either going to have to come up with capital and that's either out of their pocket or it may be coming to folks like us to provide that gap. And then there are going to be other borrowers who are just going to decide that they're going to have to sell into the market at kind of whatever market cap rates are, and they're going to be forced to accept that. 
So, Rich, is that what's on the horizon for 2024? I mean, obviously, we've had a bit of a stalemate between buyer and seller and a bit of spread gap out, right? Transaction volumes are down significantly. But as we hit 2024, I mean, you, you think that's how it's going to work out? Because we've got, on the one hand, a lower debt proceeds, higher cost of debt, and then we have a lot of people holding out for the, for, for the day when interest rates are lower and it's a better, better time to be transacting. And so you think this comes to a head next year? I do. I think it's going to certainly start to, Scott. I mean, as you said, there's a wall of maturities coming. And, and so the inertia of being able to sit still with very low cost debt where it's being serviced and there's no catalyst to sort of force an outcome, I think is going to start coming to an end. And I think that's going to start forcing things to a head. And I think that's going to lead to increased transaction volume. Again, whether that's sales, but adjusted valuations, which are the valuations, frankly, that we've been underwriting on our side anyway, even though to Uma's earlier point, I think that a lot of the publications out there are still showing four and a half or four and a quarter cap rates. Um, so I do think next year you're going to see transaction volume, you know, go up meaningfully this year, as you well know, it's been, it's been pretty depressed, but I think next year you'll start to see things come to a head as people are sort of forced to go into the market in some way, shape or form and kind of accept what the market is, is I think telling them they just don't want to hear it yet. Yeah. There's a bit of the calm before the storm right now, perhaps. I, I think that's going to be a healthy thing for the market. It's going to be painful for some, but I think getting some more liquidity into the market is, you know, we find price discovery is something we've got to get through to get through the, I guess, the second half of this repricing cycle. Well, Rich, thanks for joining. And for those listening, thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Front and Center. Thanks for listening to Front and Center. You can subscribe on your favorite streaming platform and please be sure to leave us a review. To stay up to date, you can visit our website at centersquare.com to access our thought leadership, sign up for our mailing list, or contact our team. We look forward to hearing from you. The content of this podcast is informational only and represents the viewpoints of the presenters at the time of recording. It should not be regarded as a solicitation nor investment advice. All information presented is subject to change at any time based on new data, analysis, or market conditions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results.